everyone welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Our desire at Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to our guest minister for today. So today I want to talk about matters of the heart. Say, well, that's what you did last time. Yeah, that's what I did last time. Yeah, this is part two. Because I didn't get it all done. And you guys haven't got it all yet. Neither do I. (laughs) It's still being revealed. Because we can always go deeper. So I'm going to review a little bit, and then I got a couple more things. There's one scripture in particular that the Lord really stopped me on, on Monday, I think it was. And I've just been meditating on it all week. But just a little backstory. When I was asked to minister today, was like six weeks or two months ago, and I put it on my calendar, and I realized that I'm following Pastor Dwayne Sheriff. How many were here for Dwayne for at least one message? Looks like about everybody. Praise the Lord. Well, you know, I get a little, I, I spout off a little too much every once in a while, speak without thinking. And I said, well, gee, I get to clean up any mistakes that Pastor Dwayne made. <laughs> Let me go on record. I don't know if this is recorded yet, but I'm on record. Pastor, Pastor Dwayne didn't make any mistakes. But I had a question that I've had off and on over the years that I've never had a satisfactory answer to. But based on his teaching, the Lord revealed a little more to me. So after we talk a little bit about our hearts, we're going to go right into the covenant of marriage again. So anybody that's tired of the covenant of marriage, you probably need to hear it. Hallelujah. Praise God. So no, I am not cleaning up after doing. He did an excellent job, and I can't wait till he comes back. So in part one, I'm just going just to do a real quick recap. And um, remember, we looked at four or five different parables. And they all had to do with the heart in one manner or another. We started out with the Pharisee and the tax collector. You all remember that? Pharisees, he's, he's praying about how good he is. And the tax collector, who was hated by everybody, he said, Lord, I'm nobody. Help me. And he cried out for help in his humility. That's all a matter of the heart. It's all a matter of the heart. Then we went on to the shrewd manager. And I always had a struggle with that one because I'm thinking, why are we talking about a guy who cheated people? Because he cheated his boss. When he lowered the bills, he cheated his boss. And I finally got a revelation on that, that this is a parable. This is just an example. He's not teaching us to do that. But in using this parable, I feel the Lord is showing us that we can use this system to prepare for the future, to prepare for the eternal kingdom. So what that's saying to me, plus it's a matter of the heart, but in addition to a matter of the heart, it's telling us that we don't have to seclude ourselves. We don't have to forsake everything in this world. This world is here for us to use. We got to make sure the world doesn't use us. But see, it's a matter of the heart. Where's your heart? Is your heart with the Lord, or is your heart with the world? Where do you put your trust? Where do you put your confidence? This man was at least shrewd enough to say, hey, if I do this, then I won't have to dig ditches. There's a lot we can do here 
using this system to prepare for the next. Now, you're thinking, what's he saying there? Well, obviously, first of all, you got to give your heart to the Lord. That's going to prepare you the best for the next. But in so doing, you keep the Lord where he belongs, number one. But you're still free to use this system. We don't have to become like hermits. We don't have to go live in a monastery. Because it's a matter of the heart. I, I don't know how to say it more clearly. It is all a matter of the heart. So then we talked about faithfulness. And in, um, I've skipped a couple of scriptures already, Deb. Bear with me. Let's go to Matthew 6, 24 real quick. Quickly. We cannot serve two masters. You all know that one. Right. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Too many people are serving money. You can't do it. If you're going to serve money, you're going to love money. No matter what you serve, you're going to love. So then we moved on to the Pharisees, and we pointed out, and the Bible clearly states, they were lovers of money. Right after God told us, or the Holy Spirit told us through the word, we can't serve both or two masters, he used the Pharisees for an example, and they love money. And, you know, we all know how that worked for them. They had divided hearts. They had divided hearts to the point where when Jesus walked among them, they couldn't even recognize him. When the long-awaited Savior came, they didn't recognize him. That's a divided heart. And then I finished up, or came close to the closing, with little children. And that's our example in all of this. How are we to come into the kingdom? We're to come in like little children. These kids don't have opinions formed yet. These kids don't have prejudices. These kids don't have, as they're little and growing up, they're as pure as can be. You might want to argue, say, oh, they're selfish. Well, yeah, that's all they know. That's all they know, but their hearts are not divided. They aren't of an age where they can consciously choose God, so they're looking to themselves. Am I comfy? Am I hungry? Am I hot? Am I cold? Am I wet? Doesn't matter. So yeah, they're self-centered, but they cannot make a decision for God. And God's saying their hearts are still pure. He wants pure hearts. He wants pure hearts from all of us. And now is the time to guard your heart. Now we're going to go to 1229, please. Or I think that's where I'm at. Let's see what it says. I don't like working off notes, I'm sorry. Okay, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doth cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house. The Lord gave me that message or that scripture this morning and I looked up in the concord one of the concordances I have and it points out something interesting that I've never seen in that. Jesus was ministering to the religious community, correct? 
Was he minister in truth? How did the religious community respond? They accused him of being of the devil. Does that kind of remind you of anything that's going on today? I never saw that till today, I'll confess. We're in that day. They can't, this culture cannot argue against the truth. So they try to divert attention. They blame the truth givers for being led by the devil, for being wrong, for being I don't, all the words that, if I watch more news, I could just spit the words out, but they're hard to come by because I don't watch it. But we're in that day. And that's why I'm sticking on this theme for a little bit. And I think that's why the Holy Spirit's got me stuck here. Because we've got to guard our hearts. We are in a day and age. I'm not a doomsday prophet, but things are happening. I don't know when. Maybe next week, maybe next year, maybe 10 years. I don't know. But we're at the end of an age. And just as we talked about the strong man, once he comes knocking, it's too late. We have to get right. We have to guard our hearts. And when we are in that position, and I'm speaking to myself just as much as everybody else, when we get in that position, strong man not going to have a chance. But if he comes knocking and you crack the door open and you're not ready, it's too late. You've all heard the example of the guy that's sitting on the couch eating bonbons and watching TV and a guy comes in to rob the house and he says, wait a minute, and he wants to go and build up his muscles so he can fight him. Well, it's too late. It takes time. And I don't care what your position in life is, you can get your heart fixed on God. So moving on, Acts chapter 7, verse 39. says, but our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. This scripture ministered to me because that's what happens when you don't have your heart guarded. Read that closely. They didn't turn back to Egypt. They didn't rebel and say, we're not going. They're talking to Moses. Moses is leading them. But it says in their heart, they were still in Egypt. And I challenge you with that. Where's your heart? Some of you might be sitting right here and your heart's at coaches or rafters. Thinking about what you're going to have for lunch. Your heart might be with, the list goes on and on and on. I'm not going to throw out a bunch of scenarios, but I think you get the point. You could be here physically. You could be listening just as attentively as the next person. But if your heart isn't here, you're going to miss something. It's so important. And as the day approaches, it gets even more important. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. I don't know if you know the context of this Proverbs, but it says if you sit down with a stingy man and he offers you food, don't eat it. Because his heart, the stingy man's heart, is not with you. We've got to guard our hearts every moment. We've got to weigh where we're at. Not, it's not judgment. It's self-judgment, maybe, knowing that Jesus has already judged us. But how are we living it out? And I know it's quiet in here, and that's okay. That's okay. I pray it's quiet because you're thinking about it. Because the Holy Spirit is meditating, or causing you to meditate on it. 
because it's not something that you can teach. It's kind of like the beloved culture. You come into the beloved culture and you say, wow, this is different. I can't wait till I've got it. How do I get it? Well, there's not a list of things to do to get it. But if there were, I would put the number one item on the list is get with God. Get in the word. Let the Holy Spirit do what he does best. Because you're changing your heart. It comes through your mind. You're renewing your mind, which is scriptural. But the goal is to change the heart. It is so important. I can't, <clears throat> I don't have words to explain how I feel or how important I feel that it is. Hallelujah. Well, I'm about to, well, let me go ahead and read it. The, the, the verse that I've been meditating on all week is Acts 11.23. Acts chapter 11. Verse 23, when he arrived and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and encouraged them all to abide in the Lord with all their hearts. A little background on this. This is all in chapter 9, 10, 11 of um, Acts. Stephen has spoken out and been called to account and martyred. Um, there was a major persecution of the disciples. The disciples were scattered. Many, many of them traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. But the key thing in there was they ministered only to the Jews. If we read back behind this a little bit, they were ministering only to the Jews. But then... After the disciples that were scattered went to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking to the Jews, there were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who spoke to the Greeks at Antioch. Now, Greeks, I didn't, you do a lot of research. I don't do all the research I could or should, but when you hear Greeks, think Gentiles, non-Jews. They were hearing the message. And when the word got back to Jerusalem, they heard that a great number were believing. A great number of Gentiles, a great number of Greeks in Antioch were believing. So they sent Barnabas to Antioch from the church at Jerusalem. And I'll read it again, just so we got, you got a little backstory on it. So Barnabas went, and when he arrived, he saw the grace of God. He rejoiced and encouraged them all to abide in the Lord with all their hearts. What's the grace of God look like? It says clearly he saw the grace of God. That's one of those questions, it's like, Seeing his faith, hmm, okay. How do we see his faith? How do you see grace? What is grace? Now, I know grace has been taught from this pulpit and taught and taught and taught. And if you didn't get it from the pulpit, just go around the corner right outside. Grab just about any book you find there, and you will get a good background in grace. Grace is what changed my life. I grew up in a mainline church. I got stories I could tell, but I don't have time today. Um, but I didn't know anything about the Spirit until I got some major, major revelations. Pastor Bob told me why I went to Guatemala, and he was right. The more I grow, the more I realize what happened, the more I realize how true his words were when he said, God sent you to Guatemala to kill you. And he did. He had to, I had to die to myself. And the Lord started giving me revelations about grace, spirit, soul, and body, kingdom life, 
And I went about three years where I thought I was almost losing my mind because it was so glorious. And that's the reason I went to Karis Bible College. I took it online from Guatemala, not to learn more. I took it online from Guatemala to see if I was that wacky, if I was off base. I thought, this will be a good way to check. And so I graduated. <laughs> That's a real quick version of the story. But the Holy Spirit used Karis Bible College to prove to me that the revelations that I was getting while I was in the northern jungles of Guatemala were not end time lies. Because I was questioning myself. But grace, I've heard a lot of definitions of grace. But one way to define grace or to talk about grace real quickly is to talk about what it's not. And I'm just going to, in case you don't have a full revelation of grace, not that any of us have a full revelation of grace, but just so we're all on the same page. Grace is not a license to sin. Amen. Absolutely not. It is not. Many people do. There's a term greasy grace or sloppy grace or whatever. That's an abuse of the word. That is wrong usage of the word. And it's a trick of the devil to get you out of where you're supposed to be. So grace is also not a prayer before you eat. I grew up. You want to say grace today? Okay, grace. Uh. And this is a term I've never heard. I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to take claim to it if anybody wants to use it somewhere down the road. It is not spiritual whiteout. I like that. I like that one. It's not spiritual whiteout. You see, when grace is taught wrongly, people think that, oh, I sinned, so grace will take care of it. That's not the way you're thinking about it, a true statement. It was taken care of on the cross. Now, grace was on the cross. So if you want to argue, you can say, see, grace took care of it. But no, grace took care of it at the cross. Not now. It's done. It's a finished work. It's a finished work. I, I was taught not as from the denomination I was in, it wasn't as bad as some of them, but if you sinned and weren't right with God, you had to confess it again and you had to get saved again. And that is living death. So grace is not spiritual whiteout. What is grace? It's unmerited favor. You've all heard that. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time because most of you in this room, I'm sure, have heard it. But I do want to read a few scriptures just because sin was taken care of once and for all on the cross. Let's look at Romans 5.15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. And there are many, 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 many more scriptures to talk about grace. But we know that sin entered from one man, Adam. And it affected everybody. If you were born, 
into this world, you are affected by that sin called the curse, death, sin entered. But by one man, Jesus Christ, who offered that sacrifice once for all, made it possible for many, as many as desire, to come back into righteousness, right standing with God. And that's a simple grace message. And it's a beautiful grace message. It's done. It was done at the cross. Another definition of grace, and it's one that I personally like and use most of the time, it's the power and ability of God. The power and the ability of God. We can't do anything in our own power. But with God, all things are possible. So it's the power of God in our lives. That's what grace is. And if we're not in right standing with God, we're not going to flow in that. That's why you can walk into a room and see grace. You're looking at fruit. I go with Stacy this morning at prayer. Remembered our sisters that are at the weekend. I believe we're going to see the grace of God on them when they come back. It's going to be visible. Because it is something you can see. It's tangible. We think of these things in terms like they're like hard to define and everything, but they're tangible. I'm, I'm reminded of, we had a group from the church I grew up in, bless their hearts, came down to see us in Guatemala, and they brought a girl with them that was not a Christian. She was a Jewish sister. To this day, she will not write the word of God, the word of God, the name of God. Um, but she had a great time. I witnessed to her. I even had a moment like the book of Acts near, near the end of the the trip that I said, now, sister, I said, we've talked and talked and talked and talked. Tell me what you've received about Jesus Christ. And it, just like in the book of Acts, she said, well, you've almost convinced me. So she went back home, not born again. But I got a communication a week later. She worked as an interpreter in the hospital. And... Um, Spanish English and she got alone in the chapel and the Lord appeared to her and she accepted Jesus and I talked to her later and I said what what was the difference what changed your mind and she said when we were in Guatemala I realized that love was tangible and I think the same thing applies to this Grace is tangible. You can see it. You can feel it. You can know when it's present. But it only comes when your heart's right. It only comes when the Lord can work through a yielded heart. As long as that heart is closed, as long as you're fighting it, the Holy Spirit can work and work and work, and it's to no avail in your life. That's why it's so important to yield. Even if you're not sure you should yield, yield. So the third thing I want to say about grace is it's a person. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Romans, I'm sorry, John 1, 17 tells us, you all know the scripture. It's coming. I have faith. There it is. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You get that action in there? The law was given. Here's the law. Take it. You're going to live by it. Here's the law. But grace and truth came to us. It's a gift to take. 
It is a gift to take, and it is for everyone. So going back to that verse in Acts 11.23, when he, Barnabas, arrived and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and encouraged them all to abide in the Lord with all their hearts. So what did Barnabas see? I believe he saw works. They were visible. They weren't works for works' sake, or he would have known that. They were works that came from a yielded heart. They were works that came from the culture that they were in. They were works like people see when they come into Beloved and say, something's different here. I wonder what this is. Works are good. Don't give works a bad rap. We need works. Faith without works is dead. If you kick out works, you got a problem. But I believe that Barnabas saw works. I believe he saw attitudes. He probably saw a whole lot of hugging and kissing going on. He saw relationships. He saw a different culture. That's what we're talking about here. Have we arrived? Not by a long shot. Is there more? Yes, there's much more. But I believe that Barnabas saw the glory of God in those people, in them and shining through them. And that's what I want in my life too. And it only comes by being yielded and spending time in the word, finding out who the father is and finding out who the father believes that you are. When you got the identity on the inside of you that the father has of you, your life's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. James 2.26 reminds us, we all know that, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works or deeds is dead. When you get with God, you can't help but using a common phrase here, thank you, Bob, you can't help but leak it all over the place. You're going to be doing works. People are going to see it. You don't even have to open your mouth. The glory of God wants to indwell us. The glory of God wants to shine through us and spill and leak out of us and affect everything and everybody that we come into contact with. It's a beautiful thing. So Barnabas, when he saw the grace, he rejoiced. So I went back to Webster's 1828, just so I knew what rejoice means, because rejoice is pretty important. It says, experience joy and gladness in a high degree. He was exhilarated with lively and pleasurable sensations. He was exalted. He didn't just come in and say, oh, yeah, they're doing pretty good. These were a bunch of Greeks, Gentiles, that had heard the word. And let me just remind you that at that same time, there was just beginning to have a full revelation that the gospel was for the Gentiles. Because just prior to this event was when Peter got the vision of the sheet coming down three times with the clean and unclean animals. And he realized, whoa, this is, I can eat any of these. This is for everybody. The gospel's for everybody. So there's no coincidences, we know that. So while Peter's getting this, says meanwhile, the men went out and they're sharing to Gentiles. Isn't it good how God just makes everything work like that? And it doesn't matter where. It can be worldwide. It can be just in this town. It can be just in our morning service. But we see it week after week after week. We experience it. We see it. And it's wonderful. And yeah, we should rejoice. Barnabas encouraged them. And encourage means to give courage to, to give or increase confidence or success 
to inspire with courage, spirit, or strength of mind, to embolden or to animate. So he stepped up and he basically said, what you're doing is great, I'm excited, let's do more. That's what the Lord's saying to us today. Amen. It's great what you're doing. Let's do more. Yeah. I got more. He's got more. Together we got more. We can't do it alone. We need each other. Right. Oh my goodness. The best is definitely yet to come. I can't wait, but woohoo is right. So Barnabas rejoiced and then he encouraged them to abide. To abide. And a dictionary definition from Webster again is to rest or dwell, to tarry or stay for a short time, to continue permanently or in the same state, to be firm and immovable, to remain, to continue. That's why when we get done with praise and worship, when we come to the conclusion of that portion, we should never be done with it. But when we come to the conclusion of that portion, we say, Stay in this place. Abide here. Abide. Don't let it just be a fleeting moment. God wants us to abide in him all day, every day. You think, but I got to go to work. But we're coming to that. We're coming to that. But I got a wife and family. Relax. We're coming to that. Hallelujah. Psalm 119.90 says, Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. You think the earth is here for a while? It's here till the end. We got that promise. It has abided. We are to abide in that place with the Lord. But we can't do it if we have a divided heart. It's impossible. It's impossible. It just won't work. In Acts 27, 31, here's an example of abiding for just a short time. It's the shipwreck. And Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. We need to abide in that holy place. We need to abide in the Lord. We need to guard our hearts. We need to control our minds. We need to control our thoughts. We need to renew our minds so that we can be in that place. It's a beautiful place, but it's not a place that we just, oh, it's Sunday, okay, you fight all the way to church or yell at the kids all the way to church and you say, okay, now we're at the church step. We gotta put on our smiles. And we walk in and we say hi to everybody. Hi, how are you? Yep, it's a beautiful day. And you ask me how I know? I did it. I did it for years. Oh, if I could have some of my years to live over. But true confessions. And you've all done it too, if you want to be honest with me. To abide in the Lord is to make the Lord Lord. We'll let that sink for just a minute. We say Lord, but it's pretty easy to use that word. But if he's Lord, that means he's in control of everything. Amen. Is he? I ask myself that. We all need to ask ourselves that. Is he Lord? Or is it just something we say because it's a good religious phrase? We need to make the Lord, Lord. We need to give him first place in everything. I don't care if it's your secular job. I don't care if you're too married. I don't care anything. The Lord is number one in your heart. Not just words, not just actions, not just thoughts. We need to mind the things of the spirit and we need to control the things of the flesh. And I know the question always comes up, but we live in this world. We got to take care of things of the flesh. Well, yeah, 
because that's part of our being. The real me is a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. But just because I'm taking care of the body doesn't mean that I'm ignoring the spirit. I can make the Lord Lord when I'm in the shower. I can make the Lord Lord when I'm doing chores around the house. I can make the Lord Lord at any time. And if you use anything as an excuse for not being in the Lord, I don't know what to say. Except that you're not going to realize and experience all that God has for you. Because he's got so much. He's got so much. Romans 8, 6. We all know this one, too. I'm using very familiar scriptures. For to be, my, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You want life and peace? Be spiritually minded. Be spiritually minded when you're doing carnal things. And I don't mean carnal as in sin. I mean carnal as in, in this world. Because we know we have to do things. We're all going to leave here at some time today and eat. Is that spiritual or carnal? Got food? Put it in your mouth. It's, I don't know what we're going to do in heaven. I don't know. I haven't seen heaven. But on this earth, if you don't want to die of starvation, you're going to take some food, put it in your mouth, chew it up, swallow it, and get the nourishment from it. So is it a carnal act? Yeah, it's a carnal act. The way I'm using carnal? Yes, there's nothing wrong with it. Can the Lord be first place in it? Yes, absolutely. And that's what we're talking about, guarding your heart and keeping the Lord, Lord. So it's a matter of the heart. Barnabas, in actuality, was seeing the people's hearts. When he went to Antioch, he saw their hearts. And he was delighted. Hallelujah. I think I'm going to get this done. Hallelujah. I'm halfway through. So, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, <laughs> we're going to have some fun. <laughs> we're going to move on to what the Lord showed me, and it's going to dovetail with what we learned last weekend. And again, I want to say, just in case Pastor Dwayne should by chance see this, I don't see anything wrong with anything you said, Pastor Dwayne. Thank you for being here. I love you, Pastor. But I want to bring up a couple of points. And some of this you'll recognize because Pastor Dwayne said it, but I got to repeat it to get us in the context of it. And it's still got to do with the heart, so don't leave, don't think we've left that to do this. I see them together, and that's why I'm bringing it up. Genesis 2.18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. Y'all remember Pastor Dwayne sharing that? He was alone. He wasn't lonely, but he needed help. He needed a help meet. Next verse is right on the list. I don't, don't want to put my glasses on again. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Let's, um, let's jump up to 24. When I said the next one, I meant on my list. I'm sorry. I wasn't clear on that. So, 2.18 said it's not good. The man should be alone. And then in 2.24 of Genesis, he said, Therefore shall a man leave his mother, I'm sorry, his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And I'm not going to teach on this because Pastor Dwayne did a great job. But you see the leaving and the cleaving thing there. For this reason, man should not be alone. I've created a woman. And man's going to leave his father and cleave to his wife. And then in 25, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So we get God's view of marriage. 
And as Pastor Duane taught us, that happened even before the fall. And you can believe that marriage is a big deal to God if that's the first thing. I mean, when you go somewhere, what's the first thing you start talking about? I don't care where you go. You talk about what's on your heart and mind. Yeah. This is big on God's heart and mind. He set marriage in place right at the beginning. Amen? So we kind of know, no, kind of, we do know God's feeling about marriage. Am I correct? Okay, good. Well, then if we go to 1 Corinthians 7 and 8, Paul's talking. And he says, I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it's good for them if they abide even as I. Paul wasn't married. Does anybody see the question I'm heading towards? God says marriage is good. I'm even going to create a woman so man will not be alone. And they're going to come together. And they're going to become one. And it's good. Everything God did was good. Right. And then Paul comes and says, meh. Better if you're like me. And he says, I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide alone. Next one. Is that in order? Yeah. But if they cannot contain, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn. And Pastor Duane... He, he went right as close to the edge of being, <laughs> y'all got the message, right? I don't have to do it again. Okay. So due to situations that seem to be beyond my control, I've had reason to consider that question in the last year, in three months. And I'm saying, Lord, what is it? You said it's not good for me to be alone. But Paul says it's better if I'm, with, if I'm like him. So my question's simple. Who's right? Hmm. Anybody want to volunteer? <laughs> They're both right. They're absolutely both right. Now, Pastor Duane gave some very good reasoning for why they were both right. But I've listened intently to services Sunday and Monday, and I also re-listened to all of them again, just to make sure what I was hearing and feeling wasn't something that he said. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Lord showed me something that really helped me. See, we've been talking about matters of the heart, Right? Nobody's missed that. I've made that point in the last 40 minutes, I hope. We're talking about the matters of the heart. And the question here really boils down to, does marriage detract or take away from wholehearted devotion to the Lord? And I'm speaking as a person who was married for over 50 years. And I've had these questions. And quite frankly, some of you or many of you might have had these same questions. But Lord, I want to spend more time with you. I would love to spend more time in your word. But I got this, and I got a wife, and I got kids, and I got to do this, and I got to do that. Or am I the only one in the room that ever thought that? Amen. Am I? No. Oh, OK. I, was, I wasn't sure how that was. I thought you were agreeing that I was the only one in the room. But see, that came from my legalistic background, my works background. It's like, okay, I compartmentalize everything. Okay, this is my time with the Lord. This is my time with work. This is my time with the family and my wife. And oh, that they demand this of me because I got to rob from there. But my boss, he's not going to pay me. So this is fixed. So I'm sorry, Lord. I'm just too busy. I just can't get up any earlier. I just can't stay any later at night. And the Lord suffers. But does the Lord really suffer? Who suffers? Bingo. 
So if God created marriage, and we know that he did, we know that marriage is good, that marriage is right, that marriage pleases God. And this is Pastor Duane's too. I had a list written down, and I really did, I wrote the list down before I heard Pastor Duane's teaching, and my list, I got it right. I gave myself an A plus. But I checked it with Pastor Duane, so I didn't contradict anything, but God created marriage for companionship, partnership, procreation, sex and sexuality inside of marriage, because we are sexual beings. And the fifth reason is to reveal the mystery of Christ in us. Our grace group studied two of Duane's books, Identity Theft and Our Union with Christ. And Our Union with Christ, if you haven't read that book, you ought to read it. It shows the physical marriage and relates it to our spiritual marriage with Jesus. And it's powerful. If I'd asked my grace group who is here, if they got something out of that book, I think they would say yes. Would you, Donna? Would you, Lee? Would you? Yep, they're all nodding yes. It's powerful. So the question still remains, though. Does that marriage detract? That marriage doesn't detract any more from serving God and putting God first than eating, showering, sleeping, or doing anything else in this world. Because it's a matter of the heart. You married people, you aren't trying to divide your time between your spouse and the Lord. And the other little nugget that he showed me, and this, in this culture, is hard for us because we're not covenant people. We don't grow up with covenants. We grow up with contracts. So if you're going to understand a covenant, you've got to work at it. You've got to learn it. And when a husband and a wife are in covenant, they become one. Let that soak a little bit. I'll give you an example before I say what I got on my notes. In December of 21, Pastor Craig gave a word to my wife about her future at one of the prophetic nights, prophetic actuation. And I didn't get the whole, the whole of it, but I do know that he spoke over my wife and said that all of the ministry that she had done to that point, which includes a fourth of her life as a missionary in northern Guatemala with me, that word said that all of the ministry work that you've done is nothing compared to what you're going to do. Do you remember that? Okay, I was kind of hoping you might have got that part, but that's what I got from Peggy. She told me that later. Well, then in January of 22, she went home to be with the Lord. Our covenant was in effect in December. I take that word that Pastor Craig spoke over Peggy to be my word. Because we're covenant partners. We need to get a revelation of what a covenant is. We become one. So what happens to one happens to the other. So if you're sold out to the Lord and your mate is sold out to the Lord, you're both sold out to the Lord and it doesn't matter what you do. The Lord is Lord. And being married does not detract from serving the Lord. Oh, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> I thought I was. I got, I got so much good stuff yet. But anyway, I'll go this way. And if I can squeeze the last part in, it's kind of fun. But um, so Genesis 2.24, we already looked at that on the screen. That says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh. 
But now in John 14 and 10, we might want to look at that one. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the work. Verse 11, believe me, just the first part is what I'm interested in. Believe me that I am in the Father. Can you agree with me that the Father and Jesus were in a covenant? I know there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I know it's three in one. I know they're all God. But there was a covenant being spoken of right there. Am I correct? Our God's a covenant God. John 17 and 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Verse 21. That they, there we go, that they, I just had to prod it along, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Yes. There's just a whole lot of covenant going on here. Amen. Jesus and the Father are one. Amen. We are one with Jesus. Yes. He's in us, we're in him. If you're married, two shall become one. It's a covenant. God put all the covenant teaching he needed right at the beginning of the book. If we could get a hold of it, we would be far better off. So yeah, it doesn't matter if you're married or not. You can let the Lord be Lord in all things. And I got nine minutes and I'm going to do this. I got to talk fast though. One of the biggest challenges I had in Guatemala was dealing with people who were about 60 to 70% living together. In Guatemala, to be legally recognized as married, you had to be, go before the alcalde or the, the mayor into a civil ceremony. If you wanted to be married in the eyes of the church, you had to have a church ceremony. If all you had was a church ceremony, the government didn't recognize it. So for inheritance or property tax or anything like that, it, it was a mess. But 60, somewhere 60 to 70% of the people I ministered to were not married. They were living together. They may have 10 kids and they were faithful to each other. There may have been an implied covenant, but there was no formal agreement, no legal agreement, no anything. And then the churches came along in their religious hearts and taught them, fornicators aren't going to go to heaven. And if you're not married, you're a fornicator. Well, they just blasted everybody I was ministering to. So how do you preach grace to people who believe, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that there's no hope for them? And I ask some of these precious women, especially, because they're mostly women we minister to, why do you even come around and read the Bible? If you're so sure you're not going to go to heaven because you're a fornicator, how are you going to do it? Well, yeah, that's about the answer I got. So one of my big things in that three years where I was getting all kinds of revelations, I was going to God and saying, God, well, how do I minister to these people? How do I convince them what your word says is true? What religion is teaching them is not true. And I, I dug far and wide. I made international phone calls. I pursued this thing for months. And my question boiled down to, what is marriage in the eyes of God? Because a civil ceremony is for legal purposes. The church ceremony, and I'm not bashing it, I'm not saying we shouldn't do it, it's great, and it, it does bring the spiritual effect of the, or part of the marriage front and center, and it gets everybody that's invited involved because they're attesting to the fact that this is one union and we're going to support it. So all of that is good. But, Lord, what is it? 
as I studied, especially in the Old Testament, you got to go a long way before you hear any kind of a mention of a marriage feast or a marriage ceremony. The first wedding feast, if I asked you to, to write down a little card and say, what's the first wedding feast that you can remember in the Bible? You'd probably go to John where Mary and Jesus were there and the water was turned to wine. There's a couple obscure mentions in the Old Testament, but for the most part, they're not there. What happened in the Old Testament in the records that we have, and I'm not saying that's the definitive definition or definite, <laughs> that's redundant, redundant. That's not the definite answer, but that's what the Holy Spirit has shown us. For the most part, the man chose a woman and went into her, and the marriage was consummated. Well, whether there was a celebration, a party, or whatever, I don't know, but it wasn't in the scripture that I could find. So we know how important, and Pastor Dwayne, thank you, you dealt with this subject about the blood covenant at marriage, so I don't have to go there, thank you, and I don't have time anyway. But with all of that in mind, the other thing I found was that in that choosing the bride, especially in the Jewish culture, the man chose the bride and then he went away to prepare a place for the bride. And she didn't know when he was coming back, but he'd come back when the place was prepared and take his bride. I was just, I want to say I was just thumbing through the scriptures, but I know the Lord led me to this. And I've got in my notes here, it says bonus scripture. Because what I'm going to share next, I'm taking it out of context. Guilty. But how many know you can double reference? The Holy Spirit double references all the time. If it wasn't for the double referencing, we'd never get anything new. And even if we did get everything, there's enough double references that we haven't seen yet that the Holy Spirit say, oh, did you ever see this one? Well, I got one of these for you here. Take a look. And so we can never get to the end of it. I mean, getting to the end of the Bible is like getting to the end of the internet. You're never going to make it. But I was reading at John's prayers. If you don't want to read anything else, read chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17. You can get a lot out of those prayers of Jesus. But I saw this and it just grabbed me. John 15, oh, I'm blessed. 15, 16. Hold it together, Greg. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus is praying for his disciples. But he chose language that was common to the wedding customs of the day. We haven't chosen him. He chose us. And he's gone away. And he's coming back. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You realize how close we are to his coming back? And oh yeah, by the way, bring forth fruit. You think Adam and Eve are the only ones that heard that word? Genesis 1.22 in creation says, be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 1.28 in creation time, be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 8.17 in creation, referring to creation, be fruitful and multiply. Noah in Genesis 9.11 be fruitful and multiply. Jacob and Israel in Genesis 35 and 1. Be fruitful and multiply. They changed it up a little bit in Jeremiah, but it's the same thing. The remnant of Israel was told to be fruitful and increase. That's multiply. That was not a one-time command. And it's for today. It's for us. We are covenant people. We are one with Jesus. We are one with the Father. Amen. And if you don't feel that you're there, 
If you can't say that with assurance, it's not because the Father's let you down. And I'm not wagging my finger at anybody. We can all do more. But I do want to say, check your heart. Check your heart. If you felt this morning during praise and worship, if you felt the Lord was speaking to you, knocking on the door of your heart, we're about ready to invite the altar workers. Don't let the day pass without taking action. I can't, I can't make anybody do it. Only you can make that decision, and only you can put feet to that. 12 o'clock, I did it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, Father, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have led us and guided us through this entire service, tying everything together, healing, calling, making a way for each and every person to experience your fullness deeper and deeper. Deep calls to deep. The deeper you go, there's more deep calling. Don't resist. I, I thank you, Father, for what you're doing. I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And we receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you stand to your feet, I'd like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.